0: this idea I've got a story in mind that I just can't shake I see these visuals every time I close my eyes every time I try to sleep I see these visuals I see these scenes I see these colors I can hear the movie I can smell the movie I can taste the movie I need to make it so how do I get started who do I ask for money for this film And why the hell are they gonna give it to me? And if I can't find money somewhere, do I pay for it myself? I mean, everybody says that you're not supposed to put your own money into your movies. Is that true? These are all serious questions. These are questions that all new filmmakers face. These are questions that I faced. These are uh, nightmares that I've had. And luckily, I've made the right choices. (laughs) And, you know, that's what I hope that this show does for you guys, is it gives you access to what other filmmakers have done. Because I've said this before, there isn't a right answer to any of those questions. And there are so many variables involved with the reasons why you want to make a movie, with whether or not that movie's good enough to be made. Uh, and, uh, is there, if you do put your own money into this film, are you going to make it back? There are so many hard questions that you got to ask yourself when you, when you start out and you start making these things. And if you haven't guessed already, you're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Pechy What is happening? What's new? And today's episode is one of those episodes that we do on the show where two directors get together and hash it out. Two directors that come from kind of the same standing. We sit down in a space and we start talking about what is really going on behind the scenes. The stuff that is behind all those press releases, the real stuff that we're thinking about as filmmakers. And I'm excited because today's guest has made a film that I enjoy. Honestly, made a movie that when I saw the trailer for it online, I went, fuck, fuck. Cause it felt really close to something that I was gonna do. And luckily it's not, it's completely different. But for a split second, I was like, man. And then after talking to this director, I understand why. We both love the same kind of films. We both love blocking and technique. There's a bunch of the stuff that he did in that trailer is stuff that comes from my own heart and comes from my inspirations. And so when I first saw that, I was nervous. And I know you guys know what that's like. And it doesn't have to be movie making. A lot of you guys are creating products. A lot of you guys are putting out songs and you hear something that just clicks all those boxes that you were imagining and you're like, man, am I too late? Did I not make it? Should I still make my thing? If these are questions that haunt you, if these are issues that you're facing, this is the episode for you. And this show is completely honest. And I think this is one of the more honest episodes that we've done, and that's saying something because most of our shows are no bullshit. Um, And I'm excited about today's guest. Today I'm talking with director Josh Lobo. And Josh did a movie an independent film, an independent holiday movie, since we're in the holiday spirit, as this comes out, called I Trap the Devil. If you guys haven't seen the trailer for it yet, go on YouTube right now, or even better yet, go to inloveltheprocess.com and click on the link for today's episode. We'll put the trailer there. Watch the trailer and see why I was excited about this film. See why I was nervous about this film. Uh, It's a great movie. Great talent. He shares a lot in this episode. So, if you are a filmmaker trying to find your way, if you ask yourself any of those questions that I posed at the beginning of this episode, stick around. There is plenty to learn from on this show. Not only do we talk about financing your own movie, not only do we get into how to get it started, we also talk about agents and management and how what movies sell and the questions that you need to be asking yourself before you set out to create a project and what expectations you have from that project. We also get into breaking down a lot of those myths like I made a feature film so now I'm set. Now the world is coming my way. There's a lot of answers on that. Josh shares a lot with us and I share some shit too. So we both uh, have a really great conversation. It's like It's like sitting down and having beers with the two of us. And I wish we were all doing that. We're still not there yet. Still not there. I can't wait to get to the point on this show again where I can start to have these people in my space. So we're having beers and we're talking together. Uh, I am grateful for the internet and I'm grateful for the ability to do these things remotely. But you just, you just know when you make a connection with somebody that it could be even better in person. So... But anyway, I want to thank everybody that continues to follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and follow the podcast at In Love with the Process Pod. That's In Love with the Process P O D on Instagram. There, you guys have been suggesting guests and pushing people my way to be on the show. Today's guest was an actual suggestion from one of our followers, one of our listeners of the show. Thank you so much. You know who you are, um, and we notice those things. We enjoy those things. Uh, so if you haven't so already, please hang out over on Instagram. That is where you can communicate with me. That is where you can give reviews for the show. That is where you can tell me uh, what you want to hear in the future. Uh, what have you guys thought of season three so far? Is there, is there a subject material that you wish that we were covering? We've been trying to do a pretty goddamn good job of getting at every aspect of filmmaking, like we've done a bunch of editing this season. Uh, we've done some. Have we done actors yet this season? We got to get some more actors on the show. That's the next step: is more actors for the show. But what would you like to hear? Write to me on Instagram. Let me know what you think. Um, and do yourself a favor, please go visit us on inlovewiththeprocess and go subscribe to us on YouTube. In love with the process on YouTube. We need to get over a thousand subscribers. On YouTube right now. We're in the process of setting up plans to release more material on YouTube and we need to get our audience bigger and better for that. I think at some point the reality of the game is we're going to be moving to the YouTube space. It's the only way to break the glass ceiling. Our, our listenership only goes so high when we're just doing stuff as an audio podcast. We're going to have to break into becoming a filmed podcast and a visual podcast. It's taking some time but we'll get there. All right, without further ado, let's not hold up the show, strap in and get ready for a fucking pretty heated conversation, a fun heated conversation between me and Josh on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Josh, thanks for being on the show, dude.
1: Hey yeah, thank you thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: Yeah, ma'am. Like I was saying off air, uh, I'm a fan of your film. I remember seeing the trailer for it. I trapped the devil, and I saw the trailer for that, and I was like, "Fuck, this looks cool, ma'am."
1: It's uh, I, I got I got to say that the the people at IFC they did it a fantastic job, um, especially with like the marketing materials and the the trailer. Um, they really they really had like a vision for the way they were going to sort of position this thing and um I, I i think it it sort of like surpassed my expectations like nice. i watched that trailer trailer and i'm like i want to watch that movie and you know i've seen it
0: <laughs> yeah no because i'm you know i'm working on another movie behind the scenes that uh has like a holiday thing it's kind of a holiday horror movie so i i remember seeing that trailer i forget how i got to it but it was online i saw the trailer and i was just holding my breath i'm like oh motherfucker <laughs> like I, was, I was watching going fuck 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 fuck!" and then i was like okay cool it's completely different okay great <laughs> because the aesthetic is fantastic dude it's totally the kind of vibe that i dig
1: i i appreciate that a lot and i mean it's sort of a similar thing um we uh just because most of this movie was sort of done out of out of pocket mm-hmm. and uh so it took a long time, you know, I, I work as like a bartender and I would, I would just sort of like every night I'd make money and then I would just dump it into the movie. So it took me like, I spent a lot of time editing too. So it kind of took me like a year and a half, two years to finish it. Okay. And, uh, right as we had, we had, we had finished the, the cut and we're starting to do like sound mixing and things. And so like the movie had been shot for like a year and, uh, I get a text from Scott Poitras who plays the lead actor and it was in (laughs) July. We had just signed our sales team. And, but and it was, we were kind of like a a week or two weeks out from like the official announcement that this was a thing. And, uh, fucking, am I allowed to swear? Is that a, you can
0: can swear all you want on the show. All right,
1: cool. All right. So fucking that JJ Abrams show, Castle Rock. Yeah. Premiered. And Scott texted me and he just goes, we're so fucked (laughs) because on paper it has the exact same premise. And I remember just being like, God damn it. Because we had been working on this thing for years and castle rock wasn't even a thing. And it comes out and it has the same there's trapping this guy who may or may not be the devil. And we, when we announced it was in, um, I think variety or deadline or something like that. I immediately started to get fucking, instagram and twitter messages from people just asking me if i had ripped off castle rock
0: oh i fucking hate that
1: oh yeah yeah and i was so irritated and i, I like i i didn't watch the show for six months and then i finally before uh right before our movie started to premiere i watched it and was just like all right fuck like let me see how and they were completely different but yeah there there was just that moment of just like oh damn it dude
0: it's it's you, there's that fear with any project because it takes fucking forever for these projects to get going you know what I mean yeah. And there's, there's that internal fear where it's like the zeitgeist is out there and it's like alright so who the fuck is going to do this at the same time I <laughs> consistently have that fear all the time and um, there's a really uh, uh, funny episode that we did with uh, Ryan from Film Riot because he did because I have a door knocking short which is who's there and he did a door knocking movie as well and I had him on the show <laughs> I had him on the show and I was like, mine came out first, motherfucker. Because <laughs> we both were in the same mindset. We made them. you know?
1: I don't know what it is or like what gets in the water. That sort of like, I I, I I can't tell. It's the same with, you know, things like scores. And usually there's a tipping off point. Um, I remember in like 2014, I think it was Adam Wingard's The Guest, which mm-hmm. like had the first kind of like resurgence John Carpenter score. And then it just seemed like everything had a John Carpenter score for about, you know, five years. Like, and it was just, it was just, I think like one thing is kind of the catalyst and then it just shoots off and everyone starts to head in that direction creatively. Stephen King, you know, and everything's like a King adaptation now or like they feel like Stephen King.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's multiple reasons for it. I think, I think, you know, if I had to try to put my finger on it, I think it's because the filmmakers that are getting going or the filmmakers that are finally getting their opportunity to do stuff are, are sort of in their late thirties, forties. Of of course, there are outliers and there are like, quote unquote, little genius childs. But uh, most of us are hit at that age point. And so we're falling back on the stuff that inspired the shit out of us. And then if you go back and you look at John Carpenter and Steven Spielberg and all those guys, and they were essentially doing the same thing. Once they had the opportunity to do it, it's like Howard Hawks and all these dudes that they loved as filmmakers, they were, with John Carpenter, were literally doing remakes of. that. The thing was a remake of a Howard Hawks movie. So um, it makes sense because you're starting to see that cycle of filmmakers that are at that age where we're all completely influenced by John Carpenter, we're all completely influenced by like David Lynch and all these different folks from our childhood. Um, and so I, I would say that that's probably why it is i mean i i know that uh wingard had done it for guests but i i'd heard it in a bunch of other things and then if you go back even further and you look at um panos doing fucking beyond the black rainbow and bringing synth into that oh yeah
1: yeah i i I I definitely uh what, what i will i will say about wingard is i just think the guest was sort of like i think it was like the first like Thing that it 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 was a throwback, but it, like Beyond the Black Rainbow is a very like niche movie, you know. <laughs> and I think the guests sort of took that like Carpenter nostalgia and and put it in like a modern movie that just sort of you could watch and be like, that's good. But like, if you knew John Carpenter, you could also be like, that's also like kind of like John Carpenter. And so it yeah. was sort of like a marriage of the two.
0: Yeah. No. Totally. I get it. I totally get it, man.
1: Like, there's a million. There's a million movies that have like taken inspiration from the thing and like, you know, some are great, some are, some are not. And, and I I just think that like classic movies will always like inspire somebody to try to like do their take on it. Um, but yeah, there was just like a weird thing with that one. I just, I just remember at least in the indie film world, just afterwards, it seemed like every fucking movie had a, had a synth score. Yeah. And then Stranger Things.
0: And then Stranger Things, you know, and then you, you think about like, uh, it follows and all these other things and it, like I'm a fucking nerd for that shit so like I am heavily influenced by Cynthia score stuff and it's it's always difficult for me because I I like to be inspired by the movies that I grew up with but more than anything I think in my mind it's that period of time scared the shit out of me because that's when I was the, the youngest seeing these films and yeah. I just want to continue to play in that world as far as like tonally you know what i mean like the the pacing of those things so i'm consistently just trying to i like to say that i'm trying to learn the language that those guys that those guys would use and then retell something in a similar language to that as opposed to stealing or replicating shots or fucking recreating the same fucking thing it's just about learning the language that they were using at that time period which was Influenced by Howard Hawks and all those dudes before that, and even kurosawa and you start to go back and you look at that uh, old school slow pacing, slow blocking, um, and score driven pieces. Uh, and I love that time period. And I it was one of the reasons why I kind of got drawn to your trailer too, because I felt like you were definitely influenced by the Polanski. You're
1: definitely in that yes,
0: yeah. in that time
1: period. There um there was a what i appreciate the most and sort of the the tools that i've i've sort of latched onto as a filmmaker is there's there was sort of a classicism to the way the films of the 80s and things were blocked today it really irritates me and if i i see so many fucking indie movies where it's just like people are just they grab the camera and they're just swinging it around and like yes. there's no like intention with the actors or they're not moving in a particular way yeah, John Carpenter and Steven Spielberg and those guys—you know—they—they they designed the shot and they—they they spent the time blocking. So characters are moving like to and from frame; they're moving around, and it just felt everything felt very intentional. Where today it sort of just seems like people just turn the camera on and they shoot whatever they shoot. Mm-hmm. And I really like when I when I started making Trapped, like you know, years on, I, there there was a little bit where I was I was adverse to talking about it but like you know i i I love the twilight zone and i did watch the howling man (laughs) episode and it was like i I remember just being like yeah that's cool and then just being like that's a good idea you know from the 50s and it was like i wonder what my take on that would be just thought Mm -hmm. it was interesting and i was super inspired by um like a really strange collection of things like i loved polanski i love the movie the ninth gate i think that it's it's really interesting. So the ninth gate and Rosemary's baby and like Spielberg, like early Spielberg, I would just, I would just watch poltergeist. Well, yeah, Toby Hooper. Um, but I would watch, <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch poltergeist and temple of doom and, and then like weird stuff. Like, uh, there's this director from Australia named Justin curzel He has this movie called the Snowtown murders and I would watch that. And, and so I was sort of trying to marry like this sort of gritty, this gritty aesthetic with just like the, the classicism of like, like Spielberg where I, I did, I mean, I tried to block and I tried to sort of, you know, use the camera to reveal things, which Mm -hmm. I don't feel like a lot of indie films do. And I, and I honestly like looking back on trapped, it's what I'm most proud of. And I think, I, I think that it is not, I don't know how to say this. Not sound like an asshole. I just think I just think it like you when you watch it, you can tell that there's like more consideration to the way that it is like shot than a lot than a lot of films kind of of this ilk.
0: Dude, let me say it so that you don't sound like an asshole. It does seem that way. <laughs> it totally yeah. does. And I think it. That's what drew, drew me to it. And then hearing you talk, you and I are very similar. So hearing you talk about this stuff, I'm literally prepping a movie right now where my exercises are that like I'm going back and learning their language as hard as I can because the, the most difficult portion of it for me as a new director is that you, we look at these films from like Spielberg who was directing since he was a kid and then was also directing TV at like 21 or whatever the yeah. fuck it was. And so he just had like, Like hours and hours and hours of just repetition and experience on on camera blocking. Because I think the reason why a lot of indie stuff and a lot of indie stuff today, you don't see that is because it takes time and energy to think about that. And it's one of the things that isn't, it's not sexy. It's not a sexy thing to talk about. Like most people for over the past 15 years are like, what camera are you shooting on? What's the resolution of that fucking thing? Hey, wouldn't it be great if we got anamorphics? Why? Because the flares are cool. You know what I mean? Like all this sort of superficial bullshit. And then you yeah. have a lot of people, and I'm, I've said this on a couple episodes, but fuck it. You have a lot of people coming into the role of directing from other places. So you have like a lot of writers transitioning to directing. You have a lot of actors transitioning to directing that don't necessarily have the same sort of obsession with cinema that seems like you and I have. Which is, how do I tell a story visually? How do I tell a story with movement? You know, based upon how a character is standing and how big the character is in frame, that means something. A camera should be revealing something every time it fucking moves. If you cut to an insert that insert should be revealing something or telling a story or furthering the story. Don't just fucking cut to an insert because you thought David Fincher did a really cool job making those eggs fry in that fucking later in 7 and I just want to recreate that. It just, yeah. you're just seeing this shit. It's so superficial and it isn't just on an indie level. You're seeing this on such a large level on bigger programs that everybody is obsessed with right now. Maybe programs with like a midget green guy. You know what I'm saying? Without actually coming out <laughs> saying what program yeah. it is and you're looking at the work that those dudes are doing and you're going you're just fucking watching an old movie and literally ripping it off and then translating it into this without saying that that's what you're doing as yeah. opposed to like Tarantino who's like I just fucking rip things off and I I restamp it in my style
1: you know what i mean the thing the, the thing with Tarantino is tar- Tarantino makes old things cool again and like i think i there i mean like Tarantino is totally in that in that class of you know he he like he understands how to block i mean you watch the fucking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and that every 10 Mm -hmm. minutes that movie is doing something just so spectacular. And it's why that movie, you know, it was sort of such an event because it is. It feels well crafted in a way that I don't feel like a lot of indie films are. And Mm -hmm. I and and, you know, I can always tell when something is going to break out because it it is the perfect marriage of like writing and understanding what they're going to do. You know, like the Babadook or things like, it follows yeah. Those movies are like really well designed and, and everything feels very intentional and, and they've sort of cut out the bullshit. With Trapped, you know, I mean, I, I wrote and I wrote Trapped when I was 20 and I shot Trapped when I was 22. And <laughs> so, yeah, the the screenplay portion of it, you know, I would definitely say is is the weak, the weaker aspect of the movie. and And, you know, I'm very comfortable talking about that. You know, everyone gets better. But like, just sort of like, I, I just found it It was very easy to learn the lessons and like nobody, I don't think anyone really knows what they're doing when they get on set. You know, you just kind of get on, you got to see what works and what doesn't. And, and my approach to filmmaking is very much in that, like, I am, I can't, I can't be married to what I have on the page. I just hmm. have to like, get on set and like, figure it out. And, and, you know, you sort of start to get in like a rhythm and um, I'm actually sort of notorious for this where like the first day of shooting, I I usually just completely bungle it because I have no idea what is being made. But after (laughs) the first or second day, you start to like understand, you're like, okay, this is sort of the tone of what this thing is. And you can, you can start stripping elements out of, you know, the screenplay or just things like lavish things. And if you're not married to it, you know you'll start to find something that like like I remember when I wrote Trapped I was like this is going to be I love Matt Reeves and I was like this is going to be like tonally like the movie Let Me In really dark and kind of sad and 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 just sort of as we started to shoot more you know I was like okay cool this is like it's turning into something a little bit more quirky a little bit more of like a paranoid thriller and and it it was a really good decision in my opinion to sort of lean into that because when I got in the editing room, I like what I had was, was in line with that. I wasn't, I wasn't sort of constantly trying to like hit a vision. I was, I was, I I brought all of the people in my cinematographer, my production designer, and I sort of started to see what they were all bringing to the table. Right. And, and then this baby was born and it's like, you know, you can choose to continue to try to force the baby one way, or you can just sort of let it, go where it's going to go and embrace that. And when when I feel like when you do that, then you really get some like interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because with, with, I mean, I believe I, I'm a prep guy, so I, I believe in doing a lot of prep, but most of my prep is just so that I have a way of directing the people that need the direction early on so that I can go like, here's, here's kind of what I think we need for production design. Here's what I think we need for this, just so I can keep the engine moving and the train running. But then I'm always leaving room for exactly what it is that you're talking about. And I think the marriage that works for me really well is being as prepped as I possibly can, doing as much homework as I possibly can. But then also, now that I've had the years of experience on sets, I'm no longer afraid of a set. I'm no longer afraid of uh, saying the wrong thing. I'm no longer afraid of being wrong. Like, let's be honest about it. And so... Now that we're, now that I'm in that boat, I can show up to a set with a plan, have everybody moving because the thing I can't fucking stand is when no one, when you're on set and then all of a sudden the crew's not moving and you look around and they're sitting around you're like, what the fuck is going on? They're like, oh, they're waiting on you. And I'm like, fuck, because I should be, I should be going right now. I should be shooting. Um, So I always have that anxiety. So I I try to have a plan in place, but then if we see stuff that happens, like an actor is like, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do that. Like... Famously I did that on the Who's There short where suddenly there was a whole sequence I just threw out the fucking window because of a reaction shot from an actress. And I was like, whoa, this changes everything. You guys yeah. gotta walk away for like twenty minutes and let me figure this out.
1: Um so That's I completely agree with you. Too. Yeah, dude.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally.
1: Totally. It's, it it real it really is. Like my I, I think so many directors try to and I mean, it 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 comes with definitely working with people that you can have a shorthand with, but like so many directors are like, I have two hundred thousand dollars. I'm gonna make this look like a David Fincher movie. <laughs> you know, I gotta I gotta do this. It's gotta look like seven. You know, and 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 it's not. It, it it's not that that's not possible. They just don't sort of let. You know, I I I think it's really. I, I mean i just think it's fundamentally wrong to like hire somebody and and just say hey i want you to do this yeah. you know whereas it's it's more like like my cinematographer is my best friend and we um we have like a really interesting dynamic where like yeah i mean you know i'm like oh yeah i love um uh, i'm currently obsessed with this movie the childhood of a leader i'm like i want it to be dark like this and and rich but i'm not saying and you know like replicate that I, what i'm saying to them is like i want you to like look at that and sort of devise your take on it and then i usually just stay out of the way i know you're a big you're a big tech guy i'm not i i don't and i'm i'm trying to sort of get more involved with it so i you know i understand well, the terminology did,
0: oh i mean maybe i maybe i come off as a tech guy but no <laughs>
1: you just you just seem like you know you know cameras and lenses and what Sure. Where where I with trapped I literally would just say, "This is the shot." Like, what do you think, Bryce? And and Bryce would set up a shot. He'd pick the lens, and I would say, "I don't know, probably not." And and you know, I really like relied on him to sort of choose the film visually because I was very focused on like performance and and mood. Right. 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 And and that's something I know I want to be you know, m- more, um, knowledgeable in, but I also do like the idea of just sort of like hiring somebody talented, if they're talented and, you know, you believe in them and you give them sort of the free reign to just do what they want to do. I always feel like you're going to get, you know, really like really good work because it, it like motivates them to do well.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, totally too. Totally. I mean, the, cause I've been working with uh, David Cruder for a few years now, and I, hopefully we're going to be doing this next thing for sure we're going to be doing this next thing. But um, what I try to do, cause I, before I, when I was first coming up as a director, I was also working as a cinematographer cause I had accidentally got into the world of digital and I, it was at the time when digital was just starting. And so I was really sort of playing with it. So I had probably about seven years of just shooting other people's stuff and and being, having an understanding of like how to visually, uh, tell the story that someone that didn't visually didn't know the how to do it visually, so I was able to help translate that for them um, but these days what what I try to do in my prep is like I know lenses really well, I know camera positioning and height really well, I know what the the trick will convey to an audience, like the visual trick will convey to an audience, and so I will plan out a sequence. And I'll write exactly how what the shots are, what the coverage is going to be because I'm also an editor. So I'm like, okay, I need this, 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 and this. And then I will always say to Crudo, uh, I'm like, the most important thing here is that we get enough coverage for the fucking edit room. So I don't want you to be excruciating over some fucking highlight that's bouncing off a window somewhere. I don't give a shit about that. Like I, I need to make sure that we get our coverage in the day. But at the same token, um, here's what I think we need. And here's how I would potentially shoot it, but then I want you to do a better job with it because you know more than I do. And so that's kind of how I presented it to him. And him and I usually fight. We fight a lot before we get to set. But then like on 12KM when he was shooting that, I saw his first setup. And that was the first time we had ever worked together. And I looked in the monitor on his first setup and I went, okay, you got this. I literally walked away. And I was like, okay, you're good. I, w- I was never breathing down his neck on how he picked his lenses or did any of that stuff. You know,
1: which is just which is just such a like a comforting feeling. And the thing is, like, I'm so stressed out most of the time when I'm just, you know, trying to make sure that the story makes sense. And, you know, like really like watching performance. I'm like a big stickler for that. Um, And just like, you know, just like trying to make sure that the atmosphere that it's like, I don't I don't want to be breathing down your neck. And I I can tell you I can tell you exactly what I do and do not like. So, I mean, you Mm -hmm. know, and there there is times where like, you know. I think my cinematographer is a fucking genius and there's times where he would just give me something that was terrible. And it was like, no Bryce, this is is shit. Like try again, buddy. Mm -hmm. And you know, Mm -hmm. he'd sulk off and 10 minutes later, come back and (laughs) rejigger it. And it would be awesome. And you know, so it's like, it's that marriage between, you know, telling, telling people like, look, I want you, I want you to do what you feel. And if you're sort of tonally, if you totally understand what the, what the piece is, I think that, you know, get everyone on the same page, it's, it's going to turn out for you. But also just like, you know, having enough backbone to be like, nope, that really is not what I'm looking for. Cause at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the only person that's going to get flack is, I don't know, like the actors and the director, nobody True. else, No, nobody else gets that like burden. I don't, I don't know if you get this but like, I mean, I will just have people fucking message me on Twitter and just be like, this shit sucks. Like go die. <laughs> and it's, it's just like, yeah, yeah, buddy. Like, ah, at least you spent $3 to rent it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, yes, I, I have had that in the past, but I, I sort of, the, the power of having your own podcast, I sort of put it <laughs> out there now where I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so like, yeah. Yeah. It's just, if, if, if you're like, ever, like just watch it and see that it's a learning lesson and, You know, when we talk about Spielberg, I am completely envious of the fact that he got to learn while working. He got to learn on the screen and it's a different time now when you're making a movie because it's so incredibly stressful to finally get yourself in that position. You don't know if making your first feature is going to be doing your last feature and the amount of judgment that you get from fans because people have the ability to like literally freeze frame and rewind it and play it a hundred fucking times and do whatever they want with it. And so you're... So judged on minutia on your movie that if, <laughs> if 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 your story, especially us being early storytellers, right? I sure as fuck don't have the skills yet to to tell a flawless fucking story. And if I can oh, keep yeah. if I can keep you interested for fucking three minutes, then I'm pumped. You know what I mean? Like if if you're lost in it and you forget that you're watching a movie for three minutes of my movie, fuck yeah. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, totally. But yeah i don't know like i feel like spielberg got to learn that shit at a different time on screen and go through the process of figuring it out before duel you know what i mean like you're doing columbo for christ's sakes
1: It, it definitely i feel like you also in their period which is so different from now is that like you got their attention because you there wasn't as many people fighting for attention now it's like you know you're bored of i trap the devil on hulu you turn it off and you like put on property brothers or something you know what I mean it's like there's (laughs) there's like an endless array of things so it's trying to like find something and also just like being okay with the fact that like look if you're gonna make niche shit which like I don't see I I don't ever see myself wanting to make I mean I don't know like if you know money wise and or if just it perfectly spoke to me I maybe but like I don't see myself wanting to make like a superhero movie or something. I want to make weird interesting movies and you know if if Spielberg was making movies today things like Duel and and Jaws I'm not sure if they would be theater movies. They would you know it would be theater and video on demand. It's it's yeah, just a diff- it's a different yeah. time. And so like in that period like getting your name out and putting a stamp on your name is just like he was Steven Spielberg and Jaws is the biggest movie ever because it was like the first blockbuster now you know there are movies that are you know really great like i just i just saw, saw this movie spontaneous which is fantastic and and 20 years ago would have played in theaters everywhere and now it's it's just going to be lucky to sort of like carve out its own little niche area in in indie film and you can build your own audience and you'll ha- hopefully you can build a big enough audience that they will continue to sort of see your shit but it's more about like you know, you cater to the people that are gonna support you and they're gonna keep renting and buying your shit and hopefully that gets big enough that you can make big projects. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know, it's it's just harder to sort of become that like breakout.
0: Okay, it is that time, ladies and gentlemen. It is time to give thanks to the men and women that help keep the show possible. And I'm talking about the sponsors of the show. And uh, they have been loyal to us through COVID, which is important and very strange. I will say this. Most people are losing sponsorships because businesses are having a hard time, a tough time during COVID. But these folks believe in the show. They have stuck with us, and uh, I cannot say thank you enough. First up, loyalists. The people who have been here since the beginning, before the beginning. My good friends over at Puget Systems. Are you a young filmmaker? Are you looking to edit your own material? I edit a lot of my own stuff. Josh cut his own movie. Um, And uh, you need to have a great edit suite in your home. You just do. Right? Because these days, if you've got a space that you can set up a great, powerful edit suite, it's better to have it in your own space because you can work on it all the time. There's a bunch of negative aspects to that too. You have to manage your time. I find myself like on my edit system way too late at night, but I get really good work done at home. Now, if you're looking to buy an edit machine, you can go to some of the bigger bigger retailers out there but you're gonna pay fucking ridiculous money. And a lot of the money that you're spending is spent on advertising, it's spent on keeping the tents up over the cult (laughs) that is some of these companies. At what point in our lives did we forget that these are companies? These aren't people, these aren't individuals, these aren't lifestyle movements. Just because you own an Apple, it doesn't mean you're a cooler person, right? And I know the marketing for years and years and years have said that if you own specific products, you're ahead of the curve, you're an elitist. That's not true. These are tools. It's like a shovel. You buy a shovel to dig a hole. You don't buy a shovel to define your fucking standing in life, right? So buy a tool that works for you. Don't fall into the restrictions that these specific companies put on you. The only reason why their machines run as well as they do is because they cut out all the options. They just force you to use specific hardware, force you to use specific configurations that they know will always work. I say this, and I said this when I wanted to build my own new uh, PC, I wanted a computer that would be upgradable. I wanted a computer built specifically for what I needed it to do. And so I I did the search. And I found a great company. I found a company called Puget Systems. These guys build custom-made PCs based upon the software you use. So you can tell them what what it is that you are using the machine for. Are you cutting in Premiere? Are you using Audition? Are you using After Effects? And believe it or not, there isn't a perfect machine to build for all those things. Each one of those programs requires a specific tweak in hardware, specific tweak and configuration right you can you can buy you can buy a like a mid-road machine that kind of does its job all the way through or you can custom tailor it for your needs and these guys will do it for you head on over to puget systems check about uh and i know you guys are going to fall in love with what they are making and creating and they're a real company and these guys by the way do not manufacture anything they don't manufacture hardware so they're not going to be fucking offloading their shit on you they do a really good job of hunting and searching for all sorts of different hardware configurations benchmark testing their hardware beta testing stuff to find the best value for the price in the marketplace so like i said head on over to pugetsystems.com and check them out also a new sponsor in the show supporting us uh, is electronic or electro voice electrovoice.com ev EV has shipped over a brand new microphone to the show, which we love. It's the RE20 Variable D Dynamic Cardioid Microphone. We love this microphone. Uh, and EV is a great company. They have really great products. They've been making speakers for years, they're doing microphones. Uh, so if you're a podcaster, if you are a, an actor that wants a microphone set up in their home to be able to do voiceover work during COVID, uh, I highly suggest you go check out the ev re20 uh, you guys are going to really dig it uh, we are putting ours through our roadcaster I keep giving them a plug I gotta they roadcaster you should be a sponsor of the show but we're putting it through our roadcaster pro and the stuff sounds fantastic so go check them out go to electrovoice.com. One of the best advancements in the film industry has been lighting over the past 15 years or eight years or whatever it's been. LED lighting has changed the way films look. LED lighting has changed the way you finance films, the way you pay for fucking uh, the visuals and for the cinematography on movies. Uh, Because the units are so much cheaper, because the units draw so much less power, you don't need to have massive crews. You don't have to have generator trucks to do some amazing things these days the amount of light that comes out of led units is pretty astounding pretty awesome and led lights have been around for quite some time you've seen them in headlights of cars you've seen them in like lights in kitchens and household units but the problem has always been that they're um whenever you shot those lights using a camera you'd get scan lines you'd get uh this distortion from them well once they figured that out, once they figured out how to build the, uh, the lights to work with cameras, just change the game. And one of the best companies on the marketplace is Quasar Science. Quasar has some of the best LED materials used in their lights, meaning that when you buy a tungsten unit or a daylight unit, it, will, it is that color. It is that specific color that they say it is and will continue to be so. There's nothing worse than buying a really shitty, cheap, fucking LED unit on fucking eBay and then getting into the uh, edit room or the color suite and realizing that it's more purple than it should be in this shot. It's more green than it should be in this shot. It's a color grading nightmare. So save yourself time in the edit. Save yourself time in the color grade process. Get yourself some really well-crafted, well-put-together, color-balanced lights from Quasar Science. Go to quasarscience.com and check it out. And uh, support the show. There's a bunch of different ways that you can support the show. I have people writing to me all the time. Hey, how can we help out? The reality of the situation is, we really don't get paid for the show. We don't make a bunch of income on the show. A lot of our sponsorships, full transparency, are for trade, for gear, or for other options. So we have hard costs. So we have to pay for the show, for hosting of the show. We get to pay for subscriptions, for software that is needed to make the show happen. Um, and so any cash that you can throw at us is great. And I'm not gonna ask you to reach into your own wallets during a fucking COVID situation. Uh, but if you had extra money and you wanted to do so, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com backslash sponsorships. There you can donate to us directly. Uh, but more importantly, if you haven't signed up for a free trial at audible yet do so with us there's a link below the episode i think it's audibletrial.com backslash in love of the process if you click on that link you can sign up and get if you haven't done so already you can sign up and get 30 days for free at audible it comes with a free audiobook right now i am still reading or listening to uh ready player 2 and i'm loving it it's a great listen the guy who's narrating it is fucking fantastic it's an awesome book if you guys haven't heard it yet you want to hear it yet click the trial link below you'll get that book for free if you want you'll get 30 days access to audible for free Um, and then not only do you get that one book but they have a bunch of really great free programming that comes with your subscription so definitely check them out like i said click audibletrial.com backslash in love of the process the link is below the episode Um, and sign up for 30 days for free. If you stick with it, good on you. There's a bunch of stuff to listen to with it. If you decide that you can't afford it and you need to cancel, doesn't matter. We still get paid either way. It's a great way to give us cash on the show without reaching into your own wallet and getting some really great content. So like I said, check it out. Link is below. All right, that's it. Let's get back to the show. You're seeing this now in film, but you were seeing it heavily in music for years. You know, like yeah. once once the re- once the music industry changed, once people stopped buying CDs, the, mu- the whole industry changed. And uh, once that revenue wasn't coming in the same way it was before, then the promotions and the advertising for these stuff wasn't the same. And so same thing with filmmaking now, where if you uh, look back at like John Carpenter time period, any of that other stuff, they had lots and lots of fucking promotional cash being spent on it. You had fucking billboards going up. You had billboards going up for for Jaws. You had radio ads going up for Jaws. Like every week it was being promoted to people. And now if you have something on demand, like a video on demand service, what is the advertisement? Maybe there's something on the trades online on like a trade website or something. And then when you're watching Netflix, maybe if you're lucky enough, it ends up high in the queue and it's playing on the side somewhere. it, It doesn't have the same impact on the audience as the old networking and marketing uh, ploy does which is like hit him every week hit him every week with your name hit him every week with the fucking thing bam 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 and eventually people are like this is this represents this time period for me yeah cuz it was fucking advertised to you every fucking second of the day
1: yeah. you know but even even then you know i mean there's there's a lot of like people that you and i know like we're talking like directors like Gus Van Sant and and people like that who we know them now and we're film people and you know I could probably my mom probably knows Goodwill hunting. But sure. like he was make, he was making what the equivalent of like today's indie films back in like the nineties and stuff. Like those movies still weren't getting massive budgets. I mean, you know, it's just so it's like, you know, I think the industry will always persevere. No, you it's a lot harder to get rich from it um these <laughs> days. But like you know, at the end of the day, as long as I can eat, I can eat, and you know, hopefully, with each project, get a little bit more money to make the next project, and maybe eat a little bit more. I, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm I'm fine. I yeah. want to look back fifty years from now on a body of work that I'm proud of, and if it's all you know, one million, one you know, hundred thousand, two million dollar indie movies. That were made with like really, you know, were made with all of me, or you know, if it's a fucking one of the forty-five Star Wars TV shows, you know, as as long as like I can just say that I was creatively fulfilled, I think that I'll be happy.
0: Yeah, I understand, dude. I, like I'm generally right there with you. The problem is, is I've got a goddamn taste for larger things. So, so like, oh, yeah. Dude, says so like as you've seen with like, I'm sure you've seen the 12k m short and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like I've, yeah, I love it. You just it's sort of funny. sit there and you go like, ugh. It,
1: I actually just, yeah, you know, I actually, it's, uh, I actually think like back in the day, I gave money to the 12 kilometer short. <laughs> I know, I, I, I know, I, I get updates from the, I got updates from the Kickstarter and stuff. So this is, this is kind of a strange. It's, <laughs> it's a very small industry, but. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with your work. From well, let me years just say ago.
0: that now that we're here, thank you, thank you for donating.
1: <laughs> thank you for. Doing you're well, you're that. welcome. You're uh, welcome.
0: Because you helped made it possible. Um, and um, I'll catch you up off air on what's going on with that stuff. But, uh, dude, yeah. What I mean, if you 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 ended up seeing the short, right? If you gave money, then you ended up getting a link. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you watch that. It's obvious that I've got this taste for larger pieces, and the love that you and I have for blocking, and the love that I have for visually telling stories, really co- starts to cost money because it takes time. It takes fucking time okay. for you to like get the perfect dolly twist around and someone landing here, and then block, blah, 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 It just takes time to do that, and. As we do these things on an indie level, it's like you have to pick and choose. You go, okay, in this scene, I'll do one of those. In two scenes from now, I'll do two of those. But then I have to figure out a fast coverage way to get me to wrap up the day because there's nothing I'm afraid of more than when I sit in the edit room and I open up the folder for that scene and I go, there's only fucking three clips in here. (laughs) I'm like,
1: God damn it. (laughs) It's so interesting. And I I, I come from like... To the point where, like, I sort of annoy my producers. I am um, where you say you have a, a big taste for the expensive things. I am a child of film, and I love film. And like, that's every every time I'm like working with an indie budget, I'm like, where can I find fifty thousand dollars to cut out of this so that I can shoot <laughs> it on thirty five or I can shoot it on sixteen. Yeah. yeah. And and so my entire my whole my whole like train of thought and like my whole my whole school of thought is just that like you know if uh you know coverage means you don't know what you're doing so i i just i don't i'm like if i can if i can put two people in a room and get the entire thing in one i'm like okay cool sweet like awesome like get in get out like i don't i don't need the bells and whistles but you know it it, it is stressful you get into the it, and you, you just, you have to know exactly what it is. Cause there's been times where I've been like, no, I'm going to get this whole shot in one. And, uh, you know, you get into the editing room and it's like,
0: oh fuck. Like, <laughs> whoops. Like T-t-totally, totally, totally. Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to come to the, to the defense of coverage. And I think that there's, there's, okay. I learned this, uh, through still photography and being a still photographer for so many years when I used to shoot, originally I shot on film. And so when you're shooting stills on film, you have like a 24 exposure, 12 exposure for some roles. So you have to be choosy. You have to be picky and choosy. And one of the nice byproducts of it is you only have a certain amount of images. So the picking process is simple. You're like, okay, the one that was in focus, use that one. Um, Once digital photography started, you had the fucking, you know, sports photographers that (laughs) were, and they're just fucking pounding these things out. And they're not shooting anything of substance. They're not shooting anything that means anything. They're just fucking covering everything. And then the, the misery that those guys have is that their selection process is a fucking nightmare for one shot. They're going through like yeah. 6,000 fucking, uh, options. And you're like, there's, there's definitely an in between that works really well. And from my experience, I just understand that a lot of the time when I'm shooting a scene, what I have in my head on set doesn't always work out that way in the edit, not because we didn't do our job covering that scene, but then sometimes in the edit, you're rotating scenes and changing sequences in the film and you go, oh, fuck, if I only had a close up here, then this would have been so fucking cool. And it's something that I discovered in the edit. It isn't necessarily something that I was planning for. And so after having enough of those situations where I go, fuck, I go, okay, I know we're going to do this in a oneer, but just get me a close up and give me an insert. Just get me though. Totally. Yeah. You know what I mean.
1: Totally. The latitude of digital and like you know trapped, trapped a shot digitally. Um, the latitude of it and sort of what you can do. There's a lot of like. There's so much. I, I like to have m- movies that are sort of propelled forward, and there's so many shots in trapped mm-hmm. that I, I I I literally built. In post you know things zooming in still shots that were not still like pieces I was like constant things that rotate and move because you know when you're shooting with 8k you can zoom in on these things without losing a ton of information and like that that is invaluable I and you know I I exploited it so much in Trapped and I I loved it and I think I think digital digital can look incredible I mean I'm, I'm watching um uh, the, I was watching The Tenet. I bought the 4K of Tenet, and I'm like, this looks in this looks just spectacular. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing better than seeing like a really expensive, really well put together, crisp digital image. But Indie films a lot of times don't have the money to make things look good. So like either on you're on one end of the spectrum where your digital just looks incredible because you had everyone firing on all cylinders and you had the money to sort of like bolster that mm-hmm. or it just like looks like complete shit because <laughs> you have a fucking red camera and you're shooting in some kid in you know, Toluca Lake's apartment. Yeah. Like it's not, it, 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 it doesn't. Whereas film on, I feel like on indie films at least, it's a little bit more forgiving from like a production design perspective. Like yeah, you can, it, you, people aren't looking at like the crevices on the walls the same way.
0: Yeah, totally. The optically, the aesthetic uh, gives you, it's a softer image. A lot of the time it gives you uh, sort of this nostalgia, like it, it, in itself, it's its own form of production design, like actually using that format in itself. And dude, I agree completely. This is, The bane of any cinematographer's existence is showing up with the best gear possible and then everything that's in front of the camera sucks because everybody spent the money on the best gear possible. And so you can't fucking shoot a good image if there isn't walls to shoot, if there isn't set design to shoot. And most of the time when you see something that the cinematographer's taking credit for, it's wardrobe, it's fucking production design. It's all of that other stuff. Uh, They literally, all they had to do was just set up a light, balance to that light and shoot in that direction and it looks fucking phenomenal.
1: You know what I mean? But bad, but bad cinematography, you can just you can look at it and be like that's not good and you can have the best wardrobe design possible and if it's not well lit then it's like totally it totally. doesn't so so it's just such a marriage of like bringing it all together. And I mean you're totally right. I I uh you know, there's a couple projects I know one was a several million dollar project and the other one was a 150,000 dollar project and they had the same art budget and i i just <laughs> it 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 gave me such a headache cuz it's like look man like i you know i don't and it you know some people aren't about this but like i don't pay i refuse to pay actors and crew these sort of exorb like just you know whatever that word exorbitant exorbitant yep. rates um you know, obviously, like living wages, but nothing crazy because it's like, look, if we're gonna, if if I'm gonna take a month out of my life, and and everyone else is gonna take a month out of their life to make a movie, we're gonna fucking make a movie that twenty years from now we're not like, ah, yeah, you know, I made two two three grand on that. We're gonna make something that. Five years from now i can still promote and be proud of that people are going to watch and it's like i think the the best indie films are the ones where like the money was put on camera and i'm not saying that you shouldn't pay your crew like obviously you know don't don't do that (laughs) but but you know there's you know there's 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 some actors that will take a good rate and there's others that just want are doing it for the money, and I would say fuck the ones that are doing it for the money, and take the ones that are going to do it because you know they're invested in the project because they want you know if you're if you're making a million dollar movie and an actor wants two hundred thousand dollars of it, like tell them to hit the herb or hit the curb because there's somebody else who's probably just as talented who will do it for you know a fifth of that.
0: Totally, dude. Totally. And and you know what it is is I think. I think people lose sight of what an indie film should be doing, right? So, like, if you're making an indie film, it's not a paycheck. It's not a paycheck at all. And, like, as as a director, you're going to make some sort of rate. And and, and it may be a price tag that you look at and you go, wow, this is a decent amount of money. But you go, how long am I going to be working on this fucking thing? Like two years? Okay. So, you know, it's not a paycheck. It's literally a calling card. It's literally the opportunity for you to gather your fans, like we were talking about earlier, to gather your followers with this thing, and to make something that you were just saying. Well, I'll live, I'll live any show of bullshit you went on, set, you had going on set. I'll live any kind of that stress and become its own little beast, because what then happens is that I think a lot of people underestimate where fans end up, and this is something I learned when I was doing music videos and my old business partner was in a pretty prominent band and it used to blow my fucking mind we would go out to bars in random fucking cities and it was like fucking fight club time where the bartender would just slide a drink across the fucking counter and and just give yeah. him a wink and it's just like he's been in an underground band for how many fucking years and this random fucking bartender knows him in like missouri or whatever the fuck it was and you're like holy shit and then fast forward to starting to do commercials and working with major ad agencies and then you're sitting in the room and that person looks across the room and gives that same fucking wink or uh, maybe the people that are working at Disney or the people that are working at Legendary are huge fans of your fucking horror movie and the next thing you know you're doing the next Godzilla fucking movie
1: so it, it, exactly it, it it it's it's insane and I, I think people over or they underestimate how small the world actually is yes and and it is you know i had when I first moved to LA, when I, right, you know, after high school, I had a YouTube channel and it, you know, I was just making videos and and bullshit. And, um, you know, I don't think it at any point had more than like 600 followers, (laughs) subscribers, whatever. And so, I mean, we're not talking like anything serious and, uh, no, when trapped came out, I, um, I was at a film festival and I just had a fucking kid come up to me and he was like, "I, I watched your YouTube channel years ago And one, I was mortified and, and, (laughs) you know, I'm absolutely mortified. RC, if you're listening to this, uh, two, it just like, you know, I, it it was so crazy. Um, one, he's also become like a really good friend of mine. So like, just the fact that like you could meet people that, you know, dude, you know, maybe he, he watched your YouTube channel and now he's at, you know, a film festival with me and now we're friends. It's, it's a very, it's a very... It's a very small community. It's a very small world. Uh, if you're nice and you, like, mm-hmm. tre- treat people well, um, you know, without – I mean, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dick and, like, I can be a dick. Like, I think everyone can. <laughs> but, like, if you treat people generally well and you don't, like, fuck them over out of things, then it's like, you know, you, you'll have a good go of it and you'll get people that will support you.
0: Well, and, that, and then it's important. It's important because at the end of the day, at least – I don't know if you feel the same way you might like, I am making movies to make myself happy uh, to be able to make them. Like for me, I want to make films. I don't have a, I don't have a fucking point to prove. Like I'm not that guy that like my dad treated me like shit for fucking years. And I'm just like, I'm going to make movies to show my fucking dad that I'm somebody. I don't give a fuck about (laughs) that. For me, I was lucky enough to get into this business early on and have an opportunity to, to direct early on and be in that scenario and go, I'm really fucking good at this. And this is the best high I've ever had. Being here on set and doing this thing is the best feeling I've ever fucking had. And I want to be back here. I want this again. And so everything that I'm doing is literally just trying to continuously put myself, these days it's like once a year, maybe twice a year, but put myself into that that room and go, this is what I was born to do. I fucking love this. and This is why I'm doing it. And I think that once you get over that other bullshit that a lot of people bring to the table like i have a point to prove or this is for a whole group of people or this is it's like it's it's great i suppose that if you want to change the world you want to do that stuff but get rid of that fucking god complex for like a half second and just enjoy it enjoy making this thing and see how lucky you are it's like winning a fucking lottery to be able to do it to begin with and i don't know we we live in a time period where everything's so loaded right now with like social messaging and everything else, and I think a lot of totally. people are just forgetting that it's a fun fucking job.
1: <laughs> yeah, do. no, it's 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 a great job, and you know, I mean, like I probably take myself. I I, I have a point to prove. Um, oh, you know, I'm from. I'm oh, from a, <laughs> no, you're good. Okay, I, I'm a I am i am from a, like a small midwestern town, and there's a lot of people that I, you know, I went to high school with, or I just grew up with that. You know, I, I it was—I it wasn't that I was a, a weirdo. I just sort of, you know, I didn't really get involved in sports and things like that. And there's people that still, you know, I mean, fucking trapped was in, you know, was like a like an honorable mention in Rolling Stone's best movies of the year. And like, for yeah, for me that was like game changing. I I still have people come up to me and they're like, oh, you still making videos? It's like, yeah, fucker, like I am. Um, so you know. I have a point to prove there but like for for me like what you said like filmmaking is just so much like all day every day much to the dismay of every single person around me that's all I think about. I every day I'm thinking about what is this story be? How am I going to get this made? How am I going to talk to this person? How am I going to get this in front of this person? Will this work? I when I walk into a room I think, "Wow, this room wouldn't suck to shoot in or this this has a great atmosphere." Because it is, because it it's just it's the only thing it there is no other option. I cannot, there is no plan B for me. Yep. If I, if, you know, I can't make this work, I'm going to be 45 years old, you know, fucking working as a bartender trying to get this, you know, still doing it because it's just like, I don't see myself being happy doing anything else. Dude, totally. And, 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 you know, like, I think there are different kinds of filmmakers, you know, I would, I would, And I'm not even afraid of it, but it's like, I would say that I'm a little pretentious. You know, I like, (laughs) you know, I like European films. I like stuff, shit like that. So, you know, sometimes I get things and I'm like, no, I'm above this. But it doesn't mean I'm above watching it. It just, I just, I know what I want to make and I know the stories that I want to tell. And, you know, if like... Like my, you know, my goal is to, to, you know, to get a movie in in Cannes or in Venice or something like that. But I will definitely rent Fangoria's Castle Freak the day that it comes out because it's just like, I'm like, oh, that seems like fun. And so I I don't, you know, I I think there's a, you can be a snob and you can, you can be a snob about like, you know, what you're going to spend years of your life making. At the end of the day, look, I'm not going to spend two fucking years or, you know, 10 fucking years, 20 fucking years of my life. Uh, being broke as shit so I can make movies I don't like.
0: Right, you know. right, right, right. But and, and look, I'm going to stand behind what I said. Like, uh, I really feel like if you can find a way to let go, <laughs> if you can find a way to let go of the needing to prove a fucking point, what it does is it takes like a whole level of stress off of everything you do. Because we, we create these stresses for ourselves, at least I do. Well, I'll like create these external stresses where there was a period of time where my goal was like, when I'm 40, I need to make my first, uh, I need to have made my first feature. I'm like, I have to do it before I'm 40. And so for years, I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and trying to get it there. And even though I set myself this crazy deadline, doesn't mean the rest of the world gives a fuck about this deadline. It doesn't mean that COVID yeah. doesn't show up and fuck up your deadlines for these sort of things. So uh, I had this level of stress where every day I'm waking up going, I got fucking hard. I got to hustle. I got to do this shit because I got to get this before I'm 40. And then I crossed over 40. And I was just like, okay. So I'm still doing well. it. And nothing changed. So why the fuck did I, why did I give myself so much anxiety? Why did I give myself fucking panic attacks over this bullshit fucking number that doesn't mean anything?
1: You know what I mean? Totally, totally. And you know, I mean, there, there's always this. At the end of the day, like when I'm on, I'm on set. I'm not. I'm not like blocking my actors or picking shots or you know choosing my composer to get back at scott from high school <laughs> but there's you know but there's definitely like an element you know when all is said and done the things out in the world and you know i go to a bar and it's like you know fuck you scott and what are you doing asshole? so it's like <laughs> you know you know and, and it it is it's just it's just Oh, dude, I, get I, over
0: that. Get over it, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Scott. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, know, I know what you mean. And like I was, you know, I was really like – there's this thing where you're – as a filmmaker, it always feels like you're sort of having to lick your wounds and get over things. Sure. You know, I, I wrote what is like my passion project. And it's like a several million dollar movie that I just could not sell people on. Oh. I could not do it. I put everything of me into this thing for two, two, three years. And, uh, you know, I just it was pushing a fucking, you know, a semi up, uphill and I, I couldn't do it. And at a certain point, it's just sort of having to double back and be like, look, am I going to continue to sort of beat my head against the wall and, and you know, force this thing that obviously is not going or am I going to sort of retreat and because at the end of the day I want to make a movie sure and you want to make a movie and Josh Mo needs to make a movie and so it's like okay well you know I can continue to sort of like bash my brains in and just be miserable about this thing because this is my magnum opus and yada yada or I can sort of be like okay cool Trapped was good at this and this and this and I I can get this and this and this let's go do something Because every day that I'm not making a movie is the worst day of my life. (laughs) Yes.
0: I agree completely with that, man. And then I would also say that the lessons that I've learned so far, as far as trying to get things going, um, is that uh, oftentimes shit just doesn't happen. Not because you don't have a good idea, not because your shit isn't awesome, uh, but just because there's some bullshit going on in the fucking world. There's something else that's covid social shit there's also there's always something that is trying to convince the people with money to be scared of investing their money into 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 your project there always will be yeah. and uh I forget where I heard this quote recently I'm going to misquote this person but I forget where I heard it but they were like every time a no to me means a n- just not today a no never means no so So like using that philosophy where if someone says to you, no, and you go, okay, just not today, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back two years from now. I'll be back five years from now after I do this other movie and everybody's got a boner for that. And you guys are going to want what I do next. And suddenly when I present you with this thing that I presented you four years ago that you had no interest in, you're like, yes, please, we'll take it and we'll do it. And so there's no such thing I think as wasted time on developing projects And if you have that philosophy on it, then like we've gone out with two or three movies uh, in the past two years that people have been like, yeah, I don't know, maybe saw it. And we know they're fucking good. And we're just like, okay, we'll just shove those for now. We've got these other ones that we know are going to go. And this is more relevant right now. So let's do this one right now. But you bet your fucking ass after we do one of these things and it becomes a fucking hit, those other movies go back out, you know? Yeah, and Totally. Yeah, totally, and and the best thing to know too is that the heads of studios and the heads of money people they change over every fucking four years, so you can yeah, just go
1: yeah, back out like, again. You know? <laughs> No, no, to- totally, I, and it, and it is, and it's it's just such a it's it's a matter of of basically being able to sort of know when to say when, yes, and 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 just understanding that well, one, you also have to surround yourself with people that are going to fight for you. That's a huge thing. Um, because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people I know where it's like, I remember sending the script to Trap for Trapped out. And Trapped is, I know every answer to that fucking movie. I know everything that's going on. I know every secret of it. And it's all in the fucking movie. And I edited the movie myself and I, I, I you know, I would wa- I would sort of focus group it with people I know and, and sort of quiz them on it. And You know, I know the movie is vague and it's intentionally vague and sort of, I I wanted to make something like a puzzle box Mm -hmm. where at no point does this character say this is their history or this and yada, yada. And I, and that was, it was very intentional. And I remember sending the script to people and they would just be like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. Don't do this. (laughs) I don't think it's good. And it was like, okay, well, I take your criticism. I take your notes. You know, maybe I'll change one tenth of things because I think that I see your point there. But the rest of it, you got to go to guns. And when you know, I bring it to my cinematographer or I bring it to my lead actor, and I'm like, "What do you think?" And they're like, "I think this is good," and I get it. You're like, "Okay, cool, boom, you're the one. You're the one. You 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 understand what I'm going for." Mm-hmm. And and being able to just basically be like, "All right, like, yeah, you know, okay, maybe you don't get it or you don't you think it's a waste of time, but I don't." you know, and and sort of surrounding yourself with other people that are like, all right, cool, I trust you. Now, any anything that I bring to my DP, anything that I bring to one of my producers or, you know, one of my actors, like, they're like, I'm in because I, I understand where you're coming from with this. And, you know, I don't need to sell them on myself. They just, there's a sort of trust there. A very easily squanderable trust. But, you know, if you keep doing it and you keep being successful over and over again, like, you get the trust of bigger and bigger people, bigger and bigger projects.
0: So, let me ask a couple of questions about you getting the uh, getting this film off the ground. Were you did you uh, do a proof of concept or anything, or did you just uh, send out the script? And did you submit the script? Did you have representation? There's a bunch of questions here. Did you have representation yeah. first before you sent the script no. out? Okay.
1: N- nope. Nope. Um, I had nothing. Um, I. I made a, I went to film school and I dropped out of film school Uh, just because I, I just quickly sort of found out that I was uh, paying, you know, $60,000 to watch YouTube videos. Um, And I was like, well, you know, I could probably do this on my own. And I, you know, I, it was one of those things where it's like, I'm paying all of this money. I'm, I'm getting very, very little experience that is, is actually worth something um, most film schoolers are sort of just—I would say 99% of film schoolers will not end up in the film industry because they don't—they just don't understand what it is or what it takes. People mm-hmm. have this—you know—people come in, they're—they're they're in their Audi that they leased, and you know, they're like, "I'm going to go to film school for two months. I'm going to get out and get a five million dollar movie." Like, it's not going to happen like that. You're going <laughs> to struggle for years before even when you will even take you seriously. And I, I just sort of figured that. I was better off just using some sort of practical application. And so I took 20 grand and I went and made a, what was essentially like a twin peaks knockoff um, way before the return came out like years. And I just flubbed the shit out of it and I wasted all of the money <laughs> and it just, it was, it was bad. And I really fucked up, but I got like a, it, you know, it's like, it's like the Dahmer party, man. It's like, I got a taste. uh i have to eat all the rest all the rest of the kids but um yes (laughs) (laughs) so it's like i got a taste and it just sat with me this was in 2014 and for years i you know i wrote things to make for five hundred thousand dollars and a million dollars and you know i was gonna have a meeting with this investor and this person and, and just nothing it doesn't work like that and none of it came to fruition and so I, one day I watched, uh, I watched Ty West's house of the devil and then I watched poltergeist and then I watched, uh, the night gate in very quick succession. And I was like, okay, well I'm gonna, I'm gonna just fucking put all of that together. And I started writing trapped and it was originally the IFC changed the title, but the movie was originally called a man in the dark, mm-hmm. um, and which I still love that title. And like, I track the devil is a title that makes money and like gets people in seats. Man in the dark is like the eerie atmospheric title that like as a creative I'm proud of. Right. So, right 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 right. You know, you know, you got to give somewhere. So I I started writing it in January of 2016 and I basically it was set at Christmas and I basically was uh was like, look, I'm going to next January I'm going to I'm going to shoot this. Period. <laughs> like there is no other option. I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. And it was a, a story that sort of organically came to me where there was three people in a house and I felt like it didn't need to be anything more than that. And so I, I, I got a job at the time. Um, my girlfriend lived in the United Kingdom, uh, going to school. And so I, I could only see her, you know, every, every couple months I'd fly over there, mm. but, but, um, so I had a lot of spare time. So I, I got a job as a bartender and I would just, I would just work like an insane amount. Um, you know, I'd pull like, you know, 40 hours of overtime a week and I just banked all of the money that I had. And at night I would come and I would write the script for trap and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this for, you know, however much money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I saved money for an entire year and I just was telling people like, I'm, I'm going to fucking make this thing. And, um eventually I, I just sort of like got some actors uh, attached uh, i had been harassing aj bowen for years and he was always he was always he was always so like kind about it too i would just i would just sort of like show up and always just be like be my movie when i was like 16 17 <laughs> and um yeah and then eventually like you know i come back to him five years later and he's like i remember you it's like yeah yeah well like i'm serious this time and so I got him involved and he, he, you know, he had, he knew Scott Poitras and Susan Burke and um, he was like, I would love to work with these people. So we brought them all on board and uh, you know, I, I like took out like a loan, you know, I took out $15,000 loan, you know, I borrowed some money from family and friends and it was like, okay, cool. We're going to make this thing for very little money. And we just went and did it. And you know, I'm still, I'm still paying it off. I think I just paid off my loan. This was in January of 2017. So it, it'll be almost four years. And I just paid off my loan last <laughs> month. Yeah.
0: It makes sense. So
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's miserable, but like at the end of the day, like I had nothing, you know, I'm, I, I lived in California, but I'm from Wyoming and I had, I had nothing really like as far as connects or insider industry, there's no nepotism. There's no anything to it, but you know, I made the movie and I was proud of the movie. And you know, I started going to film festivals and meeting people and it sold to IFC. And you know, now it's like, I can, I can, I have representation. I can ask them, you know, not always, it doesn't always work like this, but I can watch a movie at sort of my level and be like, guys, can I get a meeting with this person? And you know, 70% Seventy percent of the time, I usually can. Right. Whether that meeting ends up anywhere, yeah, you know, probably not yet, but still, it, I can still talk to people. You know, I'm on your podcast. I can, you know, I can reach out to various people and talk to them. And maybe after the next movie, I can find someone that'll give me five million dollars. Right. So it's it, it's sort of like it's like playing the long game.
0: Well, how's it going? So. Yeah, so now you're repped, right? So you have management, uh, you have management and agent right now or just agent? Like, what's your deal?
1: I have management right now. Management which is, right now. You know, the, the, the agencies are, the man, managers basically get you through the, or, or they sort of act as like your, your, uh, your buffer. Um, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like bringing a cool friend to a, or like having a cool friend bring you to a party. Totally. Where like, if you go to a house party, you know, the the frat kids kick your ass and throw you out. But if you have that cool friend, you're allowed into the party. So, you know, it's not always like that. But managers are sort of the buffer between, you know, if I say, I would love to talk to this actor. You know, I can't talk to Tom Cruise. I can't talk to, you know, a lot of people for that matter. But, you know, people at my level, I can be like, would you try to get me a meeting with this person? And my managers, your managers sort of just work for you as like, Look, this kid is legit. He is a legit filmmaker. So when they're approaching you, it's not like I'm not like a rabid fan who's like, you know, <laughs> y- you know what I mean. There, there's a there's a validation to it, mm-hmm. and and so that's helpful. At like at least this stage in my career, agents are more like when you're when you're making a lot of money you want an agency because they're dealing with the money and they're like negotiating rates for you.
0: To- to- totally agree. Cause I've got, I've got a manager and agent as well. So like I find that, and I guess the reason I was asking is because prior to this, you were making your own thing and financing your own thing. Has it changed for you now? Do you now have your people saying to you, we should approach production companies. Are you now pitching ideas to production companies? Or are you still trying to do stuff on your own independent level?
1: Um. So, I mean, COVID sort of definitely hit a snag. You know, I was, there was a, a studio project, a, a, you know, a, a decent sized, a, a theater movie, I would say mm-hmm. that, you know, I was sort of revolving around that, you know, we were having conversations and that kind of got, yeah, you know, put on the wayside just cause yeah. the year, yeah. um you know, I, I, I love it. I think that there's a good chance that I will one day make that, but you know, maybe a year, two years from now. And then, you know, it's like, I'm also like, look, if I'm going to make the, the problem is a lot of people, they, they're like, I'm going to make a a studio movie with an indie film budget or vice versa. If you're going to, if you're going to get studio money, you're going to make a studio film. If you have indie movie money, make a fucking indie film. Mm -hmm. If you have 200 grand and you're going to make a movie, make the weirdest fucking thing that you can because nobody, nobody cares. And like, I see, you know, I'll see indie movies that are like, it's a crime movie and they only had a million dollars and it's not great and it's like well you know if you just really like pushed some boundaries and made it weird like it might have had a spot in the indie world where like a lot of things get caught in that middle ground
0: yeah It, it totally is such a it's such a it's a hard decision because you know there's that rule of there's that there's that school of thought where you know, what, the type of movies that you put out there or the type of movies that you set to put out there or the type of movies you'll get hired for. So that's definitely a school of thought on, like, it's easier totally. to sell the guy who did the movie about a devil traps in a closet to the next, you know, conjuring movie than it is to sell, <laughs> to sell the guy that did the crazy experimental thing that uh, studio execs don't even want to look at. So it's- oh. It's okay. Yeah, it, I, I think you It's ulti- miserable. It totally is. And I think ultimately you have to decide as a filmmaker, uh, what it is that you want to do and what makes you happy. Like I just watched um Possessor and I've been talking about it quite a bunch and I really enjoyed it. And I think there's a lot of people that don't fucking like that movie. What did you, have you seen it yet? What did you think?
1: Well, yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. Okay, good. It's I, I such thought... an interesting thing. Like it's just yeah,
0: yeah. I fig- I figured without you were saying how much of a film snob you were, I figured you and I would connect on that one. <laughs> but it is uh, it is you know strange, and it's experimental, and it's a little bit crazy, and and I think a better example of this is is Panos and Beyond the Black Rainbow. That's one of those movies that when I would go in and have meetings with uh, studio people or, produ- or production companies, I'd walk in there and go, "Fucking Beyond the Black Rainbow." And I remember I was talking to one studio exec about it, and he, and he was like. I fucking love that movie. And I was like, yeah, it's fucking rad. And he goes, yeah, but never mention that movie when you're pitching anything because, wow, studios are afraid of that movie and people are afraid totally. of that fucking movie.
1: And so, you know, you know if you, and you, you have to learn how to like sort of navigate it. The, the, the problem with faking people out is that, you know, if, if, if your intention is to make, you know, we need to talk about Kevin and you pitch them the omen and you make, we need to talk about Kevin <laughs> <laughs> and they were expecting the omen. you're gonna have a bad time because they're gonna try, they're gonna take your movie away from you. They're gonna chop it to shit and they're gonna market it in a way that doesn't do you any good now there there's a world in which you're like, you know, I want to make a movie and that that is like that, and you can sort of marry the two yeah. you know you can you can sort of marry it and be like, you know, it's a lot like the omen, but it's a little elevated like we need to talk about Kevin. If you just go in, especially. A lot of you know, up and coming filmmakers they do like you know, have eclectic taste. If you go into a meeting and you are just fucking quoting, like, I eyes wide shut is like my one of my favorite movies of all time. If I went to a studio and was like, it's just like eyes wide shut, they would <laughs> you know, listen, they'd listen to me and send me on my way. A movie's not going to get made. You have to make things sound appetizing to a broader audience, sure, sure, sure. I would, and then you do, you know. Possessor. I bet, you know, they pitch it as like a fucking, it's like a body horror assassination movie. And then really like what you get is like, you know, like a sad, like contemplation on like becoming a corporate man, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a horror version of Inception. I feel like that was probably the pitch where it's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, I've seen this, the the, the people that when you're pitching to these folks, they, it's always uh, under the gun. I don't know if you feel the same way, but they generally are just giving you a small amount of time. Oftentimes it's like doing like a speed dating session where you're walking in and maybe they've seen your clips. If, you're, if your team behind you is any good and they send clips early on, then they they understand the kind of movies that you make. But even still, like when I was going around and, and pitching 12 uh, cam as a feature to different studios, the first thing I would get asked, well, the first thing that people said to me initially was, I can't believe you're not Russian. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was, you don't want to make the feature in Russian, do you? So like those were (laughs) the two questions on their mind straight up before they even heard what the idea of the movie was or or any of that stuff. And so you you just got to remember that. And uh, I mean, I'm happy that I made a movie. I'm kind of breaking my, what I'm saying here, but breaking my own rules. But I'm happy I made a movie in different language because it was a good conversation piece and because it ended up being scarier. Um, but at the end of the day that was their first issue like fuck we love the idea we love what you did but people don't like to read subtitles and I go I get it I get it I get it we're not going to
1: fucking do it. <laughs> would you would you have compromised would you have if they It's. if someone would have come to you with 5 million dollars or 10 million dollars and say we'll make 12k but it can't be russian would you have taken that?
0: uh for what the short i mean for a for a feature uh, for a feature yeah i mean what my goal with the feature in general was to do mixed language anyways. I think the only reason why I did the short in Russian was because I fucking financed it. And so I was just like yeah. I'm the boss, I'll do whatever the fuck I want. And I just Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't like I didn't like those movies that you watch. It's kind of like um fucking uh, 13th warrior where like Antonio Banderas is sitting there and all of a sudden he knows how to speak, (laughs) he knows how to speak like a Viking where it's just like, no, do it in their own language and have it fucking work out really well. That's, that's the point of it. But if I was making it into a feature film and someone walked over and was like, Hey, we're going to give you $5 million to make this as a feature and you can't do it in Russian completely. Then I'd go fine. Of course not. Not going to do it in fucking Russian completely because at the end of the day, um, it's more than at least for me and you're probably going to be like fuck this guy but at least for me (laughs) it's more than just satisfying myself there's a lot more that i have to satisfy here i have to satisfy myself first and foremost but i also have to satisfy the people that are going to lend me money like how often does someone hand you fucking a million dollars, let alone fucking five million dollars? And so, like, there's yeah. a, there's a part of that inside me where I go, I gotta fucking do right by these people. You know, that's a, that's a big part of it. And then there's another side of it where it's like, how can I get the largest audience possible to 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 at least be baited into the seats, and then I can fuck with them. And so actors, yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly, talent, exactly, talent. that's, that's exactly. it. That that is sort of the the keys to the kingdom, and I, I, I know this is this is way harder and way more trickier, especially with agencies and you know like CA and shit. Um, if you get if you get a piece of talent attached, it's a lot easier to like it's it you know it's like it's like coming to a gunfight with a loaded gun. You know you're like okay cool. Well you know I might not win this, but my 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 bullets are in the chamber. Mm-hmm. You get talent. I mean if you if you know. Most people that get these weird movies made with like, you know, like Mandy wouldn't exist without Nick Cage. Of course. Nick Cage comes in and is like, I'm going to make this rock and roll demon, you know, heavy metal movie. And people are like, okay, like, cause he sells overseas. It's like, all right, sure. They'll make their $5 million back, whatever, you know? And, and so it, it is, it's, but the weirder that movie is the more niche the audience is. Yeah. So it's like there is and yeah like I go into every movie basically looking to satisfy myself like I'm like what do I want to make but I also am aware of the fact that I don't want the movie to have 300 views on Letterboxd you know I want it, I want it I want it to make you know a couple hundred thousand dollars and I want to be able to have like a meeting at Universal about it not not you know oh yeah that was weird great you know like cool so it's so yeah it is this sort of marriage of
0: yeah it is things it's you want to do it's a complicated thing and for for me like i was saying also it's i mean i'm an older brother and i've talked about this in other shows one of the reasons i like to do horror is because i used to tease the shit out of my younger siblings and i love that and i love being able to fuck with an audience and, and i think one of the reasons why i would miss <gasps> cinema is that i don't get to experience i don't get to experience me fucking with them live you know what i mean and so I, I like to try to bait people in early on as many people who don't know what they're getting into. Uh, I'd rather have folks standing up in the middle of the fucking screen and going, "What
1: the fuck is this?" and going, "Yeah, I know, I, I tricked you, I got you." <laughs> Perfect examples are like that A twenty four movie that came out a couple of years ago called It Comes at Night. Oh
0: yes, dude. Yeah. I yeah. just like
1: yeah, it had like the best trailer ever. It was like a monster movie, and like well, let me tell you, nobody that went to go see that movie in a wide Theatrical release, opening weekend, expected what came at night to be existential dread. <laughs> exactly. No, that, I, I, I saw it in a theater opening night in Wyoming, and the theater was packed. And let me tell you, people were fucking pissed when that movie was over. <laughs> but, but the box office analytics come out on Monday, and the $2 million movie made $13 million, and A24 laughed all the way to the hereditary.
0: Yep. Totally, dude. Totally, I did. I I might have said this on the show already, but I remember being at a screening for that same movie, and I was fucking pumped because A twenty four does a really good job putting their trailers together. They just do. Oh yeah. And so you like, especially being from the generation that you love Carpenter, and being from the generation that he's all that old horror stuff, I saw these that trailer for that, and the monster was another one. So I saw the trailers for these, and I was just like, "Fuck yes, fuck yes!" Finally, they're making the movies that I want to see. And I ended up going to the cinema, and of course. I have a respect for what that movie does because I'm a filmmaker, but there was this fucking guy. There was this big motherfucker. He had to be like 6'5", sitting in front of me and my friend when I was watching it. And the movie ends and it doesn't even get to the first credit. And He stands up and he's like, in like, one of the front rows, he stands up, he goes, fuck this. He just screams out, fuck this. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. Yeah. I was laughing out loud and I turned to my friend and I'm like, if I get a reaction like that, that is a fucking thumbs up right there. That's an amazing reaction for a movie. He was
1: so pissed. If you, some, if you can make somebody so mad that they, you know, that they like remember it, it's just like, well, you know, you did you did something, yeah. and that guy's gonna get to make another movie because it, you only have to do one. Your movie either has to be critically acclaimed or it has to make a lot of money. Yeah. If 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 you can achieve one of those two things, you will make another movie at some point in time. So you know it comes at night you know the general public didn't love it but you know it made 12 million dollars you got to make waves which waves is fantastic Mm -hmm. so it's just like yeah yeah you know it's it's just it's it's give and take compromise and so you know you're either gonna the problem is when you make something i don't know like the Goldfinch, where it's like it makes no money and then nobody loves it it's just like yeah fuck it's like like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> failed failed Oscar bait which you know it it happens and sometimes sometimes movies just don't come together it's no one person's fault it's just the magic isn't there
0: yeah and there's so many like we've talked about it before there's so many dominoes that have to like literally fall at the right time for a movie to even get going and to get to that point where where I'll often be watching a piece of shit, the, what I would call a piece of shit. I'd be like, well, this fucking piece of shit. And I have to remind myself that it's a small miracle that the piece of shit even got fucking made. And, you know, every time that you go out, especially into such an oversaturated working marketplace right now, um, for you to even get greenlit, for for the check to clear, you know, for you to start shooting. It's just like, it's a miracle that we got here. Like, it, it, I should win a fucking award just to get to this point. And now, thank you, I can work. Okay, thank you you know what i mean
1: yeah and i mean you know even even you know you get tested like there's fucking you know i mean it's like i made a, a movie that was at least somewhat successful and just like even trying to get the next thing made it's like you know i'm at a point right now where it's like i i don't want to be sitting around for the next 2 years just like talking about my projects so it's like there i i am considering just going and making another movie in the same way we made trap just cuz I know that, you know, those larger projects are gestating and, you know, they could pop off at any minute. But until then, I don't want to just be sitting here doing nothing. Well,
0: dude, and if it makes you feel any better, I'd want to see another movie in the vein
1: of that from you.
0: So like, I think, and I think your fans would want to see that too. And I, I well, think- you're,
1: get, you're getting one, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Fantastic. I think that's the right thing to do, dude. I really do. I think that, you know, to continue to work and then to continue to expand on it. If you look at Hitchcock's career, right? How many of his fucking, like, adorned classics were remakes of movies that he did prior to that at the same fucking studio, you know? He had the ability to do those movies twice, <laughs> do the same movie again, and then figure it all out. And people are like, "This is a f- he's a genius." He's like, yeah, we already did it once. <laughs> he already, already went through the process of dry running it, you know. So, yeah. Uh, you know. Like
1: how many how many of his movies aren't classics? I mean, I, I you know you can I think if you know I went to somebody I worked with and was like, "What's a Hitchcock movie?" They could probably name me three. Maybe <laughs> there's so many other things that he's made that weren't the blow up hit that his other ones were. And it's like, that's fine, man. Like lesser work is still, you know, work.
0: It's experience, dude, it's experience. And the one thing that I've got from this show and being able to talk to uh, a lot of really great directors and like, I just talked, uh, I don't know if, when this episode is gonna come out and what order it's coming out, but I, I had a conversation uh, with the director, one of the directors for Gossip Girls, and I ended up booking him on the show uh, because my girlfriend, uh, Gina, was obsessed with Gossip Girls, and she was consistently watching it all the time, and it's not my fucking show. <laughs> there's nothing about that show. I am not the demographic. Um, but as we're watching this thing, I'm like, there's there's a fucking set of rules here. There's, there's something that's going on here that is fascinating to me. I should try to get a director on the show. Instead of just being a hater, let me talk to these guys and figure out what's going on. And I end up getting him on the show, and he is completely influenced by Hitchcock and he's completely trained by all this stuff. He was like 65, I think, at this point, And he's had hundreds and hundreds of like hours of finished products put out on television. And th- that's how many hundreds of hours on set. And, you know, regardless of whether or not I think it's a show for me or whether or not I think the show's great, uh, that dude has uh, like an enviable amount of fucking time in. And all those little lessons that he learns, like here's how I communicate better with an actor who's being a fucking temperamental bitch on set, or here's how I th- actually get a DP that is uh, wanting to uh, strut his shit to g- do exactly what the story needs. Um,
1: yeah, you can't. I I, I, I appreciate as as you say that. Like I I come to appreciate cinematographers that are allowed to like that like allow themselves to take a back seat to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of digital cinematographers are just like, I can make a pretty image like that. Every everything this and right now, because digital cinematography is so prominent, like prominent, everything it's like every single shot in a movie does not have to be like a one frame of painting. Like sometimes (laughs) you just have to like tell the story. Yes. Okay. Yes. In my opinion. Dude,
0: no, I completely support that opinion. There are shots that are just there for transitionary reasons. I've had arguments with shooters in the past whether I'm doing commercials or something and a shooter is just obsessed with it. I'm like, this fucking shot will last on screen for two fucking frames. Two fucking frames. So can we just put enough light on the fucking thing to see it and move on, please? Because it's not going to be, it doesn't matter, dude. It's it's a transitionary (laughs) thing. It's a transition. That's all it is. Um, It takes a while to, to sort of wrap your head around that and once you do, it becomes a lot less stressful, a lot more comfortable. And I say to a lot of cinematographers, I'm like, wouldn't you rather have your fucking demo reel instead of being a series of shots that are cut to some fucking like sad fucking pop track? Wouldn't it be interesting if your demo reel was a collection of scenes that were cut together because the scenes yeah. tell a story instead of trying to make the prettiest fucking image?
1: I don't. And I I don't. I don't know. When I, when I, when uh, I. When I am hiring people, I don't look at whether or not they have a reel where I can see things. I usually just look to see if they've worked and if they've worked on things that I have have any interest or liked. If you you are the costume designer and you did, you know, uh, the Babadook and It Follows or, you know... In any combination of things like that, or I, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I, I've seen your stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't need. I don't need to. I basically just have to understand if you can have, like, if you have a basic understanding of like what I'm gonna need to pull off in this movie. You know, yeah. Like, watching reels is great, and you know, there's an art to it. But <laughs> at the end of the day, I would much rather just know that you you know how to work on a set. You've worked with people. You understand the dynamic of it
0: totally dude totally agree and for those younger listeners that are listening right now that haven't had that opportunity to do so i'm telling you it's a lot more powerful if your reel has finished scenes on it than if it just has totally fucking images because then at 100%. least at least from my perspective i'd be looking at it like okay this person's never had an opportunity but let me see how it's cut together
1: and let me see how it flows okay okay if you have if you have younger listeners too there there's i think this is also helpful don't be afraid of like asking people for things. Um there's so many so many so many people I think I think because movies are sort of an an intimidating um like an intimidating presence. Um you know, if you see that someone has and I I'm, I'm just using these movies as an example. But I mean, say somebody had they were the costume designer from It Follows you know, or they were the costume designer from I Trap the Devil, or, you know, or my cinematographer from I, I Trap the Devil, I'll use myself. But just because they made a movie doesn't mean that they are, you know, super stuck up their own ass, they won't talk to you. Everyone I've ever met, for the most part, that works in film wants to work and they want to work on cool things. Mm-hmm. So if you have a cool project and you reach out to people, nine times out of 10, they will have a conversation with you. So many times do I have conversations with people that have made great, Things that I love that will, will work with me, not because I'm offering them, you know, the payday of a lifetime, but because I have a cool project. And and I think you know, so much of there's a, there's a way to ask people. It's not you need to be in my, you need to do this. It's gonna make or break you, whatever. It's just sort of selling them on like, look, I you know, I have this thing that I'm super passionate about, and I really want to like make the best thing of it. And if you connect with it, like maybe we could work together. So many people want to hear that so many people want to be feel wanted or feel like creatively validated like that, that, you know, it's like, you know, if you if you love somebody, maybe not the you know, maybe not the production designer for Tenet or Inception, but like on an indie level, like a lot of those people will hear you out there. I mean, there's been times where there's composers who I won't name that I've just cold emailed and been like, I love your shit. This is what I did. I'd love to work with you. And nine times out of ten, they will get back to me. Mm-hmm. They don't always say yes. You know, I'm dying to do that, but a lot of them are kind of like, look, you know, uh, I'm busy right now. Get back to me when you know. Get back to me when you, you you know more in the future when this becomes a certainty, and we'll 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 figure it out.
0: Yeah, totally. I totally agree with you. And it's like, okay, everybody should be taking notes on that fucking thing because we're giving away we're giving away a good secret there that most people yeah. do respond to that shit. And it's about I've said this multiple times on the show. It's con- it's having confidence, but it's not being arrogant and it's it's actually being able to speak for yourself. So if you're going to take a class on anything, go figure some social skills out. Go learn those social yeah. skills that so many of us are forgetting right now because all we're doing is texting each other and trying to decipher fucking like one word statements with a couple smiley faces and a fucking flame at the end of it. Like that shit does not convince people to work on your movie. Doing what, um, Josh just said does like writing to people and, and, and showing them A, that not only are you passionate, but B, that you respect their work and see that you're going to potentially give them an opportunity to do something that is a little bit different than anything they've done before because a lot of these people spend years doing the same old shit and you get hired for something that you were known for two or three years ago and you're fucking over it by the time you're done with it and you're looking for something fun and something new and if you can provide that honestly provide that then you'll have good fucking really good chance of convincing these people to work on your stuff you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and definitely, you know, it it does, it does sometimes take a little bit of a, it does take a, you know, a little bit of a buffer, you know, sometimes you do need somebody to introduce you, uh, which is, you know, if, if they're comfortable with it, there's times where, you know, I'll have people ask me to introduce them to so-and-so and and there's time, there it's okay to say no, it's okay to say no, but you know, if, the project's right like i i totally i'll totally introduce you to somebody or i know friends that will introduce me to somebody and it just it just sort of depends on where you're at and and how serious you are as Mm -hmm. opposed to just you know Mm -hmm. you know just cold emailing people and being like i need to make this two million dollar sci-fi movie like i don't have any money like (laughs) you you need to make this with me it'll change your career like that you know that's arrogant, but you know, there's there's, being, there's, there's like, like you said, being confident and uh, being confident, but like, and humble at the same time. Yeah,
0: That's, I mean, that's the hardest, that is the hardest trick. That's the hardest job of the director period is that confidence that you need to sell people, to sell rooms on stuff and walk in there and go, I know what the fuck I'm doing. And I know this vision and I believe in this vision, but at the same token, you have to be able to check that. You have to put that behind you when you start making these projects, you start working with people where it's like, you gotta, you gotta you gotta understand that everybody that you need on these things, all your paintbrushes as an artist, all have their own little personalities and their own lives. And you just can't pick up a paintbrush and swipe it across a fucking piece of paper. Like you have to convince the paintbrushes to get up and to do what you need them to do. It's the hardest thing, yeah. you know?
1: It's it's definitely it, it's 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 interesting. And you know, I mean this this and this advice could be super helpful and also not helpful at all because it just it's so different, you know. It's so it's so different and and I think a lot of times when you made it or when you released something I think a lot of people sort of get this idea that you were sort of gifted that, but it's like look at the end of the day, man, you know, the, Trapped was in the trades, Trapped you know, Trapped is on Hulu whatever, but like I'm still a bartender and I'm still paying off debt for it I didn't make it, I don't have a house in the hills you know, <laughs> I'm not having meetings at Warner Brothers about making fucking Spider-Man 3 or something you know what I mean, it's like, I'm still like I, and I think I think almost everybody I've met in indie film for the most part is is sort of the same, they're just real people like trying to get their project made so it's like I I would say I am in I am no closer to getting my next movie made than somebody maybe with no experience making a movie who's trying to make their first one, and it's just like it's just really about like how much you're like willing to dedicate yourself and push forward and like what you're willing to sacrifice.
0: Dude, that's great. I I gotta just say this, man, Josh. It's been a really good conversation, dude. I've I've enjoyed yeah. going back and forth with you on all this stuff, man.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's been, this has been fantastic. I, I, I don't, I don't have enough people in my day-to-day life to jam with like this. So this has been <laughs> a blast.
0: Awesome, dude. Well, we have to continue jamming like this. Like once we can sit, uh, actually sit in the same space and have a beer, we should do that. That'd be fun. Oh,
1: that that sounds, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I am, I am down. Hopefully COVID knock on wood the next year we can get that taken care of. So People stop
0: dying. <laughs> yeah. So people will stop dying and then, uh, yeah. our, our, our fucking projects won't die before they are even born at that point. So, um, <laughs> um <laughs> so dark. Yeah. I, I I'm not going to end it on a dark note. This is the point of the show where I asked my guests to give advice to younger listeners. And you've already given so much great advice on the show. Um, I would say, um, I'm trying to think of everything that we've talked about here. I would ask at the end of the day when you, cause you had to, you had to make your own film. You had to get to that point. You had to give yourself your deadlines. You had to say in January, I'm going to fucking do this. And then you, you worked and you saved up your money. I completely understand. I've done the same thing. And I think it's super smart because you banked on yourself. Um, and I know a lot of people in the industry say that you shouldn't be banking on your own films, you shouldn't be doing your stuff, but what is your thought on that? Do you think you made the right decision by financing your own piece? I think
1: you have to. And 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 look, even again, now like nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit that I trapped the devil came out. Nobody gives a shit that, you know, I I am an emergent emerging filmmaker like Hollywood doesn't care. The world is going on. You have to like make them care. I have to like, you know, Uh, actors that I've I've talked to, like, they're not sitting awake at night thinking, like, oh, God, I hope Josh Lobo is writing a screenplay for me. Like, fuck that. No, like, (laughs) you have to, like, you have to corner them in a polite and, you know, not obtrusive way and be like, look, I am somebody that you should be taking seriously. And, you know... You could write the best fucking screenplay in the world and nobody could read it because they just don't care. You have to do that. And and I think investing in investing in yourself is a show of confidence and it's also like it's like buying the pieces to a chessboard. It's like you want to be playing chess, so buy the fucking pieces and start playing chess. If you know what you're doing, it could go really well for you. I do know people that have done the same and it didn't go quite as well. I know people that have done the same and it's gone better. I know people that have done the same and it's gone worse. So it is a gamble. You are gambling there, you know, there's a chance you're not never going to make your money back. It just that's that's how it is. And if you stay awake every night thinking about how you're going to make your movie, how you have to make this movie or otherwise your life will not continue, you know, then maybe you should take that gamble. <laughs> if if this is something where you're like, oh, you know, I don't I don't want to. If you're not willing to work for a year and just bank every dollar that you have to do this, then you're probably in the wrong career. Because I there are so many people I know that it's just like their life does not go on if they are not making movies. And you know, it could be like you said, it could be one day a year. I haven't I haven't picked up a camera for four years.
0: <sighs> haven't
1: done it. And it fucking hurts me every day, every single day. Does it do? Does it sit with me? And every single day, am I trying to figure out how to like get the camera back to the point where now I'm like, fuck, maybe I should take out a hundred thousand dollar loan. Um, <laughs> I just think that you know, and it doesn't have to be that much money, you know. I, you just have to make something, and you know, the ten thousand dollar movie leads to the tw- to the thirty thousand dollar movie, which leads to the fifty thousand dollar movie, yada yada yada. Um, Some people can make the leap. Some people can go from a $200,000 movie to a $10 million movie. That's not my case. Um, But, you know, I just think that investing in yourself is the best way to, like, give yourself a chance.
0: was a cool episode man i was really happy with that conversation um and i I felt like because that was the first time i've met josh and that was the first time that we talked and i felt like we have been friends for quite some time we were incredibly comfortable and we were sharing a lot oftentimes i had to be careful because i didn't want to share too much (laughs) but yeah it was a good conversation between the both of us Uh, i'm sure i'll have him on again um And thank you if you're listening, Josh. Thanks for for sharing as much as you did. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, And I hope you guys took away some stuff. At the end of the day, I hope that you find the confidence. I hope you find that this business isn't as magical as it seems from the outside. It's not as random as it seems from the outside. Uh, At the end of the day, this business is built on unwavering drive and uh, a constant need to build your talent. That's it. I mean, sure, there are people that get in there because they know certain people. there are people that get in there because they're lucky. There's a lot of that too. But at the end of the day, if you don't, if you don't have those qualities, if you don't have that access, bank on yourself, right? If you have a story within you that you need to tell, if you feel like, uh, you're built for this industry. If you want to even see if you're going to make it in this business, then finance your own things. That's what I would say. And be smart about it. Before you dump shitloads of money into a short film, ask yourself A, what do I want from it? B, what am I going to learn from it? And realistically, C, where's it going to go? Because you never make your money back on short films. So remember that. It's an investment for your future. So at that point, Instead of spending a certain amount of money on film school, maybe it's better suited for you to spend it on a short film and try to make that. There's a bunch of different reasons why you should get started on your next project. Remember that. So I hope you guys walk away from this episode feeling inspired. Yeah, man, my voice is running ragged. We've been banging out episodes. This week has been a good week for uh, recording them. I know they're all going to come out later. Um, but every once in a while I have the opportunity to just sort of bang out a sequence of them. Uh, and I'm feeling it right now. I'm out of water. I'm always out of water. Oh, all right. I think that's it. I gotta go get myself something to drink. I think my voice is literally going to collapse in my, in my fucking face right now. Um, thank you everybody for listening as always, please, uh, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check out all the cool new stuff that we have going on. And if you're a newcomer to the show, please go there and uh, check out some of the older episodes. They're fantastic. Uh, and I'm not just saying it because I'm on the show, but I'm also saying it because everybody listens to the show and they think it's fantastic. So I'm quoting the people that are writing us notes. All right? So that's it. Enough ranting. Enough rambling. Whew, I can barely get through this. Okay, guys. I will see you next Tuesday.